Morning, church. Some of you might have said it back. Uh, we're going to study God's Word together. Uh, so if you would open your Bible to John chapter 13. Um, I, I wish we were all together this morning. Uh, we're, we're missing out. My, my sons are back. Some of your kids are back from college because college went online. And uh, was just looking forward to being the five of us on the front row there in the 11 o'clock service, singing our hearts out uh, with you all. Uh, hopefully, we'll all be back together, though, soon. And I trust, and it's been my prayer even this week, I hope you've joined me in that, that our, our time away, however long this is, because we don't know, there's a lot of unknowns, but I hope that our time away will only make our reunion the sweeter when we're together again, worshiping God in this place, all together as one big faith family. It's just going to be awesome. Uh, so before we get into our text, uh, every Sunday, I love to welcome guests. And I know that there are guests with us. I know that there are friends from churches. Uh, our own Brook Hills Hispanic Church is joining us for this. Uh, my good friend, Pastor Corey Varden, and the wonderful flock there at Philadelphia Baptist, they're joining us as well. So wherever you're from, whatever church you're from, Christians in the area, uh, we're glad that you're joining us. Um, as a local church, we've been walking through the Gospel of John uh, progressively this year. And this week uh, finds us entering into John chapter 13, which is known as the farewell discourse. Jesus' final words to his disciples to prepare them for the storm that's coming. So it strikes me as providential. <laughs> that here we are this week of all weeks, and here's the text before us of Jesus preparing them, putting steel in their spine, and sending them forward. The mission really falls to them uh, soon, because in a moment, uh, well, one, right here in verse two, Satan is putting it into the heart of Judas to betray, and then Judas is going to leave, and then he's going to be back in a minute, and in John chapter 18, everything goes sideways, right? Jesus, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, and Jesus is arrested, and Peter goes commando and cuts off a dude's ear, and then Jesus picks it up and heals him, and, and it's just chaos, right? Peter denies Jesus moments later, and then Jesus is beaten and mocked and stripped and crucified. So it's the darkness presses in, thick darkness presses in right after these chapters. And when you bear that in mind and you go forward and you read John 18 and then you come back, it's mind-boggling the things that Jesus says to prepare his disciples for the encroaching darkness and heaviness of what's coming. And it, Because in Jesus' parting words, he says things like, be courageous, I've conquered the world. He says things like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He says things like, um, Abide in me and you're going to bear fruit, much fruit. He says, it's going to be better when I leave because then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I mean, all these things, you know, knowing what's coming in a moment, it just, it's so perplexing. It's so surprising. He says, I've written these things to you in John chapter 15, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And he's preparing them again for mission. It falls to them very soon to carry the gospel mission, the mission of the, the advancement of the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel falls to them soon. But in a way, if you just read John 18, right after Jesus has finished his farewell discourse, they come stumbling out of the starting blocks. Um, but the beautiful thing is you keep reading the history of what happened back there. You keep reading the book of Acts and you find out the Holy Spirit comes and 
occupies and takes up residence in these new, this new fledgling band of disciples. And he gives them power and he gives them boldness and he gives them courage and he sustains them in suffering and in persecution. And what happens next is absolutely incredible because they turn the world upside down through their witness and through the compelling community that they exhibit together as followers of Jesus. So there's something about, and we saw this a little bit at Brook Hills when we studied the book of Acts, that there's something about um, this compelling community of the early church combined with a radical message that Jesus of Nazareth came and lived in on this earth and died on the cross, was crucified and buried and rose again three days later and was installed by God the Father as the king of the universe. And he from his throne over the earth is commanding all people everywhere to come to the feast. He's commanding all people to, to repent and believe and find life in his name. And he, after his resurrection, Jesus Christ appears to hundreds and, and he he calls them to go and spread the knowledge of his glory to every nation on planet earth. So you put it all together. Um, and what's, what's happening there is amid all these upheavals that are going on in the first century. So there's violence and there's persecution, there's injustice, there are plagues, there are famines. Um, there was, there was something about the way that these Christians loved one another and the way that they cared about one another and the way that they provided for the poor that arrested the attention of the world amid the chaos and upheavals that they were facing. So, so there's ancient context. Let's come, let's come to the present. So every news channel in the world is covering one primary story. There are cities on total lockdown, people living in absolute isolation. Hospitals have been so overrun in some places that the medical professionals there had to decide who gets to live and who's going to have to die. Like, so our whole world is thinking about this. It has invaded our lives. We are fixated on it. People are fearful. Uh, people are panicking. Nobody knows what the economic impacts are going to be in coming days. Nobody knows when this thing peaks and when it starts to decline, how many people will be infected. So after I finished this message last night, I went to bed and I woke up this morning and I saw that there were uh, thousands more, like 3,000 more people who have the virus. Over 100 people died while we were sleeping last night. So there's a lot of fear that's associated with this. So the question is, as we look at God's word, um, what does the church do in times like these? What does the church do when, as we sing the song, when fear assails and darkness falls, uh, what shall the church do to respond? And I think there are three calls to action from Jesus in these final words. And I'm going to simply word them this way. I'll give them to you all up front. So get up, calm down, and move forward. Three calls to action from this text. Get up, calm down, move forward. So point number one, get up. If you would look with me at John chapter 13, and I'm just going to read the first five verses. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. 
Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. So verse 4, you see those words that I'm borrowing. Jesus got up from supper and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. And we know it was not just a physical act. This was an outward sign of a deeper reality of cleansing that Jesus brings about in the lives of those who trust in him. So um, why does Jesus do this? And we learn that everything in our text is downstream of what is said in verse 1. All of Jesus' motivation that's pouring forth toward his disciples is downstream of what we see there. Having loved his own, in verse 1, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Um, there are people in our city who don't know the security of God's love for them in Christ. They have not experienced this weighted blanket that comes to us in the gospel when we trust in Jesus Christ. There are people among the nations all over the world who have never known the love of God in Christ that, that helps us sleep at night, right? That Remember Romans chapter eight, nothing can separate you from his love. Famine can't, persecution can't, right? He just lists all the biggest threats in the world. And he says, none of that can do anything to the security that the believer has in the love of God that we're reminded of in the gospel. You know, I, I love reminding you every Sunday of good news. And even though we're at a distance and I'm here in a room with just a few people, I want to remind you of good news again this morning. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you have drifted from God, there is, there is the, the heart of a gracious God pours forth. It, it's seen, it's commended, it's demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. There is, friend, hear me, there is no stain so deep that Jesus cannot cleanse. There is no distance that you've created between yourself and God that he cannot close that distance. Look, you can wash your hands. We were talking about that a lot this week. Only Jesus can cleanse the soul. Only he can get on the inside and cleanse us deeply, the thorough cleansing of gospel grace. It was nearly 100 years ago when the hymn writer, uh, Frederick Lehman, incidentally, it was about the time of the Spanish flu breaking out all over the U.S., when he wrote these words about the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. That's the love of God in Christ. He comes and he's motivated by love. He, he gets up, he walks over, he takes a towel and a bowl and he washes the dirty feet of his disciples. And it's a parable. He's saying, I do this all day, every day. I love to take the place of service and cleanse my people. It's, it's a rich grace from God. Not only is Jesus demonstrating his love in the act of cleansing, he's doing something so countercultural. He's doing something no master, no teacher, no rabbi is supposed to do. Right? The script had already been written in advance. That's why he starts to pull out the towel in the bowl and Peter says, not me. Masters don't wash the feet of their disciples. And Jesus says, this master does. 
And, and Jesus goes on to even say, he pushes back so hard as to say, and if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, then wash all the rest, right? Wash my hands, wash my head. I want to part with you. I want to be with you. So Jesus closes the distance there, right? Um, so think about the moment that we're in together as believers in Christ in this moment. What would it look like to get up, to grab a towel and a bowl, and to wash the feet of fellow members of this church, to wash the feet of people in our city? What does it look like for us to, to lean in and serve the world and serve the city and serve one another in the local church? I, and I wanna answer that question by reading something um, from a Facebook post of one of our members. And uh, she said this, just posted this for all to see. If the school closures have you concerned about your child not being able to eat breakfast or lunch, let me know. I will do what I can to help. A box of cereal, gallon of milk, bread, PB&J, just let me know. Feel free to private message. No judgment. We all need help at times. Also, should any of my elderly or immunocompromised friends in Birmingham need a grocery run or for me to pick up medicine, I'm happy to help. And I saw that post and it actually was difficult for me to locate who started it because multiple people from the Church of Brook Hills started hit and share and share. Me too. I'm in for this. I'm ready. I'm happy to serve in that way. Look, that, that's what the gospel does to people. It, it creates a heart that says, where's a towel? Where's a bowl? How can I wash people's feet? How can I take a place of humble service? The gospel creates that reflex of generosity, that reflex, that impulse of love. You even see Zacchaeus, right? His life has changed. He's a tax collector. He's the worst guy in town. And uh, he meets Jesus. Before he met Jesus, all Zacchaeus did was look out for Zacchaeus. He wants to make his own situation in life more and more comfortable at the expense of others. Then he collides with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And suddenly he says, okay, so I've got all this money what am I going to do with it? And he says, so I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start giving to the poor half my money. I'm giving to the poor. He's going to meet needs. And he says, all the people I've defrauded over the years, and that's a long list probably. He says, I'm going to go after them and I'm going to pay it back with interest, right? There's this instinct, this impulse of grace in the hearts of people who have been captured by Christ. I hope that's true for us, Brook Hills, in this moment. That leads us to the second exhortation about what does it look like to live fearlessly in crazy days? So get up, is point number one. Calm down is point number two. So look with me at uh, John 14, verse one. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled, he says. Believe in God, believe also in me. And skip down to verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You know, Jesus doesn't uh, airbrush the realities of pain and suffering. Even in this text, he's not neglecting or dismissive of the realities of hardship. In the very next chapter, in John chapter 15, he's going to say, hey, get ready. The world's going to hate you because it hated me first and you stand with me. He's going to say in the very next chapter, in chapter 16, he's going to say, here's what they're going to do. Just get ready. They're going to ban you from the synagogues. When they kill you, when they kill you, they're going to kill you thinking that they've done God a favor. They're going to think that they're offering service to God. 
And yet, seven verses before that word about they're going to hate your guts and they're going to try to kill you. Seven verses earlier, Jesus says in the same breath, I've written these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Friends, we have in Jesus Christ an unshakable hope and an unshakable joy. We have hope in Jesus Christ this world doesn't have. And that hope that we have in Jesus Christ should make us the least panic-ridden people in town. It should make us the most sane, anchored, measured, careful people in the world. When disaster strikes, we're not blown off course. I'm not saying that that the gospel and that God's word calling us to fearless living is making us careless. It's not meant to make us foolhardy people. Uh, who are unconcerned about the realities, right? But but friends, keep your sanity. <laughs> Can we, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, keep our wits about us? God has not called us to live in fear. He's not called us to fixate on disaster. It, when the storm of trials comes, and it comes, and it's it's there are storms of trials that are meeting members of our church that coronavirus pales in comparison to the things that they're experiencing right now, right? So what do you do when the storm of trials comes colliding into your life? You lash your heart, your soul, your mind to the ancient mast of God's word, to eternal truth, to divine promises. You, you don't give the coronavirus the keys to your joy. Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't fixate on this, right? Remember what God says in his word in James chapter one. He calls his people to this kind of countercultural life where he says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Knowing this, trials produce something in the hand of a loving father. The testing of your faith produces patience. Patience is going to have its perfect work and you're going to be complete, lacking Nothing. So in the hands of a loving father, Christians believe this. It's a it's a creed that our God of providence, he he so interacts with our lives and our pain that trials give birth to good things. Trials give birth to deep things. A friend of ours and a member of the church, Casey Mixon, uh, she leads an awesome choral group choir at Briarwood, and um, they were supposed to go compete in Orlando, and everybody was excited, the whole the whole choir, and they were about to travel, and everything, as, as you've seen all week, everything's getting canceled, including their trip to go compete in Orlando, and uh, they were just devastated, and I saw a video of them gathered around a piano singing the song that they had rehearsed to compete in that moment, and they were just holding each other. And there was a sense of sobriety and depth and community that you could, it was palpable when you heard them sing and they're just singing the chorus, it is well with my soul. And as I'm watching that video, I'm just thinking, yes, that's it. That, that's what grace can do in the midst of trials and pain and devastation. He can forge beautiful things, beautiful community. That, that's what God does. We believe as Christians that no hardship is wasted. Um, some of us have prayed and wanted a closer walk with God. Okay, we got ourselves a trial. Your move. Right? So what are we going to do in response to the storm that's come for us? Let me ask you a question. I wish I could look you in the eye. I wish I could see you right now. How, 
How's your peace? Are you taking your anxious thoughts? We all have them. Are you taking your anxious thoughts to the Lord? Are you opening up, unburdening your soul, casting your cares and your anxieties on the one who cares for you? Or are you, are we fixated on the news cycle all week? Um, Odds are the news cycle isn't going to change in some ways, right? We don't know when this thing peaks and when it declines. Jesus said in John 15, right here in the farewell discourse, he says, abide in me and let my words abide in you and you will bear fruit. He he doesn't promise we're going to bear fruit if we abide in Fox and CNN. He's not promising that. He's saying, abide in me. Let my words abide in you. You'll have my joy uh, percolating in your soul. That's the grace of God in prayer and in his word. Not only are we called to calm down, let not your hearts be troubled. Friends, we should be, as the church of Jesus Christ, we should be a calming presence in this city. Um, so there are people in this city who are fearful right now. Um, there are people in our church this morning who are really anxious, really concerned, heavy of heart, very fearful. Um, and there are, there are lots of things on people's minds right now that aren't necessarily offloaded. Their burden isn't lifted when, when you say to them or I say to them, didn't you people hear? I mean, the fatality rate is what, 3%? right? That, that's not going to move the needle. That's, that's not going to be a blessing. That's not going to lift weight off of you. So church, can we learn by the grace of God, can this present an opportunity for us to learn how to enter someone else's world and incarnate the love of God right there? How to genuinely come alongside, not with quick fixes or platitudes, but with genuine faithful presence. Even with social distance, there can be genuine faithful presence. And we're going to talk about creative ways that we can do some of that in a moment. But what if what if the Church of Brook Hills and what if churches all across our city, I've been texting back and forth with a bunch of pastors of churches around here. What, what if the church across our city could be a faithful, calming influence in the midst of the chaos that's going on right now? And, and what if that actually led to people hoping in Christ? Wouldn't that be a beautiful turnout? an outcome of this. So one, get up. Two, calm down. Three, move forward. Look with me, if you would, at John 15, verse 26. When the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, when the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I've told you these things. This is a gift to us as we're trying to interpret the text. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. That's the reason everything in the farewell discourse exists. Jesus doesn't want us tripping over our feet when the darkness comes. He wants us knowing where we're going to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. There, there is a grittiness 
in the farewell discourse. Uh, just look with me, look at the page at, at how John 16 begins and ends. Again, verse one, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. And then look at verse 33. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So what does that mean? When you take those two verses, the beginning and the end of John chapter 16, and you read that back into everything in the farewell discourse from John 13 all the way up until this point, what is Jesus saying? He's saying this, I don't want you to fall away or live in fear, so love one another well. Be the church. I don't want you to fall away or live in fear, so abide in me and let my words abide in you and pray and ask everything in my name and I'll meet you there. He's saying, I don't want you to fall away or live in fear, so I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a counselor um, and he's going to empower you to live and bear witness to me in a hostile world. And then what does Jesus do in John chapter 17? He stops talking to his disciples and he talks to the father in the hearing of his disciples. And what does he say? He says, Father, don't let them fall away and don't let them live in fear. He says in their presence, Father, it's going to get crazy for these guys who have followed me. I gave them your word. I've guarded them while I was in the world. And now as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the heat. I'm sending them into the thick darkness. I'm sending them into the world. And then he says, I pray not only for them, but all who are going to listen to their word and all who are going to believe through their word. I, I hope this season, friends, is going to be an opportunity where we rise to the occasion and live on mission for the glory of Jesus. We make him known. We proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So I want to leave us with just a few practical takeaways um, to pray about and consider. Ready? Number one, display kindness and compassion. Display kindness and compassion. If, if we read the Psalms and you listen to the emotional upheavals on every page of the Psalms, it teaches you something. And what does it, it teach? It teaches us how, how to not lecture people who can't pull it together. How to not lecture people who are having a really hard time. And there are lots of people in our church there are people in our city who are having a really hard time. So, so much good ministry happens when we stop assuming everybody has my strengths, everybody has my practical resourcefulness or my job security or my support networks. I've got good friends. Not everybody in the city has good friends has close relationships. And then sometimes there are going to be people in our church. I don't know when it's going to hit you or when it's going to hit me, but there are going to be some days where you're just losing the fight today. It just, it, it was, it came on too hard today and you find yourself just trying to breathe. And what are you going to need? You're going to need encouragement, not lecture. You're going to need an alongsider who's going to encourage your heart. So display kindness and compassion. Two, um, remember disengagement can be caring. That's why we're doing what we're doing right now. That's why I'm looking at a camera. I don't want to look at a camera. I want to look at you. I wish you were here. I wish we were all together. But disengagement can be caring. So can I just say, if especially to those who are particularly vulnerable, um, no one is judging you for being especially guarded. Um, if you're going to stay in your house for a couple of weeks and, and not move, 
Nobody's judging you. Nobody's saying, oh, wow, you're living in fear. No, nobody's doing that. There are many members in our church who, statistically speaking, are less threatened by this. So we want the vulnerable among us to know, number one, we're here to help. We're here to run errands. We're here to serve. We're here to pick stuff up. Two, when we drop it off, if you need us to drop something off, when we drop it off, we can drop it off however you want us to drop it off. We can drop it off securely. We can put that box in another box, right? We can come in a hazmat suit. We can do whatever you need us to do. We want to care for you. We want you to be safe. We can enter. If you want us to come inside the house, we can enter through a large, we can go through immersion in a vat of hand sanitizer. Whatever whatever you want, we want to care for you. We, we uh, we love you. We like you. <laughs> we want to strengthen you. We want to be a blessing to you. So um, we want to be able to connect with you without adding pressure to your life, without forcing you into a, a setting that you're not comfortable with or don't feel safe in. Um, you know, I was in an environment just uh, recently and heard conversations going on around me and uh, somebody was talking about his church got canceled and he was really disappointed that his church pulled that. And, and clearly he was disappointed in the church's dis decision to not meet together this Sunday. And his comment in passing that I overheard was Martin Luther would have laughed at the way we're responding to this. And, um, and at first I thought, you know, I've read a lot of Martin Luther and I thought, well, there's a chance that Martin Luther would have. But I went back to my room and I searched because I knew Martin Luther lived in a time where the plague was striking. So I thought, did Martin Luther say anything about the play? And he turns out he did, and he wasn't laughing. Here's what he said. Uh, and this was in a letter that he wrote to another pastor. The name of the letter was, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. Here's what he said. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it neither is brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. I love how even there with the plague that was faced there in the 16th century, there's an avoidance that's motivated by concern and love for neighbor and for brothers and sisters. So without taking anything away from that point that I just made, let me say to all of us this third point, be creative in outreach. Be creative in outreach. So you're all on the ministry team right now. We're a community of faith engaging a crisis that's going on in our city and around the world. So what does that mean? It means if you have a car, uh, could you drive it? If if you have a phone, could you use it? If you have supplies, could you share them? That's what the body of Christ is meant to do in moments like this. So while we're wisely staying in in some ways, so we've got some social distance going on right here, right now. While we're wisely staying in for the good of our neighbors, let's also look for creative ways that we can safely and wisely reach out. Some of us are, um, are going to need to reach out to older members of our body, to give them a call, to set up a FaceTime conversation. Some of us are going to need to reach out to single moms in this moment. Some of us are going to need to reach out families. We're going to need to reach out to single adults in our community who, who might feel isolated. 
um, and they're seeing you post pictures of the board games you're playing with your family and y'all are, you know, playing games, washing each other's hands and just all that stuff. And they're watching sort of from the outside looking in. We need to, if we can, if we can safely and wisely do this, reach out, call them, check in on them. Um, call or email the church office and say, hey, I can help. I don't know how you want me to help, but I can help. Um, let us know if you can run errands for members who are, who are wiser to go ahead and stay inside for this season. We're, and we're going to talk, Lord willing, more about ways that we can practically get involved in, in coming days. Um, can I say this as well? Please hear me. Um, while we're in this season of not gathering together, please don't stop giving. Um, financially to support the work of the local church. Local churches like ours don't need fewer resources in a moment. Need more resources to be need more resources to be a blessing, to be good neighbors, to love members of our faith family. Right? We're going to want to step up in those ways. So we need the church actively continuing to faithfully give. We need prayer warriors. Everybody can do that from your own house. Pray for protection and healing. Pray for God to use this to draw people to Christ. Pray that, that Satan's, I've been praying this these last few days, praying that Satan's schemes to instill fear and hysteria, to isolate people from one another, I, I'm praying that Satan's schemes will backfire in an epic way right now because the church rises to the occasion. Pray for that. Pray for Brook Hills members in different stages of life. Um, maybe connect with a Brook Hills member. If you can do this and there's a wise way to do it, maybe connect with a Brook Hills member in your neighborhood and go for a walk together, a prayer walk together in your neighborhood. That, that's what we see in this text as Jesus is saying, you to live fearlessly in crazy days.